Well, over the past month or so, we've taken a break from our study in the book of Matthew, and we've looked at topics related to the health of the church. We've looked at uh, deacons, we've looked at the legacy of the church in Ephesus, we've seen the impact that beholding the glory of God has on our individual health and growth spiritually and as a church. And next week, we'll resume that study in the book of Matthew and Matthew 11. But this morning, as we finish up thinking about the church, we can't think about the church without thinking about the mission of the church that Jesus gave to us. And you remember that in what we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. But there's not just a a spatial command there, go to all nations. There's also a a time command there as well. And here's what I mean by that. So we've been working towards this Great Commission for the past 2,000 years. And... It's still ongoing. Now, there are reasons for that, right? Part of it is because people have not been obedient or missionary endeavors have swelled and waned throughout the years, right? But there's a, there's a time aspect to this Great Commission as well. It's not something that one generation has accomplished. It's something that has to go on throughout time and it has to endure. And so that witness has to continue even after we are gone. And so as we think about that this morning, we're thinking about how do we pass that faith on, that enduring witness to future generations. And this morning we are looking at Psalm 78. Psalm 78 talks about this. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there to Psalm 78, as we think about the faith of future generations, that would be a title for the sermon this morning, faith of future generations. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, the word of the Lord says this, give ear, O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have not, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So the question is this, how can the next generation 
know God. And in this psalm, this psalm is written by Asaph. He, he tells us really two things to focus on. We see them in this passage. We have to, one, we have to talk about God. And then two, we have to point people to his word. And so notice what Asaph says in verses two through four. He says he'll open his mouth. He'll talk about the things that he has learned from God, learned about God. But notice he learned those from other people, right? We can remember in just the the daily life of the Israelites. He, He learned these throughout his life. And it makes us think about how we we learn about God from someone, right? Even if we have the testimony where we read a Gideon Bible that was in the, the hotel nightstand, right? And we came to faith through that. I've heard testimonies like that. Even in those situations, we learn more about God uh, from other people. We're discipled by them as we're a part of a church. We grow by seeing other people's faith and their impact on us through through teaching and their example in life. So God uses people to disciple other people. That was the case for Asaph. That's the case for us as well. And it makes us think about who's going to be that person for the future generations, right? Someone has to tell them. They have to hear from someone. So even... Uh, even if we look around, we, we pray for our kids and our grandkids or our great-grandkids, and we hope that someone teaches them about God, right? We pray for that. Well, Asaph would tell us here that you go and do that as well, right? Don't just leave it up to someone else to go tell them. You be that person. Asaph says, I will do this. I will tell these future generations what I have learned about the Lord. This is the the truth is not going to stop with him, right? He's going to receive it and believe it and then pass it on and tell someone else about it. And that's really what the truth is meant to do. It's not meant to stay inside of us, but we receive it and then we pass it on to someone else. What am I learning and who am I teaching is a good way to think about it. So here are some of the, the truths that Asaph in this psalm he passes on to the next generation. He talks about the, the mistakes of the people who had gone before him and how they didn't follow God. We see in verses 9 through 11 that the Israelites refused to follow God and so they forgot all the great things that he had done. It's just a As a side note, it's a reminder that obedience matters. They didn't obey, and then they started to forget about the greatness of God. But that's one thing they did, verses 9 through 11. Verses 17 through 20, we see that the the people tested God. They didn't believe that God could provide what they needed in the wilderness. Asaph says, don't be like that. He continues in verse 32 that even though they were in the middle of being punished for their sin... They continued. They continued to sin. They continued to sin even in the midst of disobedience. Don't do that. Worldly sorrow. They had worldly sorrow for their sin. We see that in verses 34 through 37, right? This sorrow that's a sorrow about getting in trouble, a sorrow over the consequences, but not a sorrow that I am a sinner and I have done this, right? They had that 
the wrong type of sorrow. Asaph lays out this example, these mistakes that the people had made before. And then he, then he goes on to talk about the truths that he has learned about God, that God has shown throughout their history. Right? He tells them how God had delivered and sustained the people, even in spite of this, verses 12 through 16. God's anger against the disbelief and punishment of sin, we see that in verses 21 through 31, verse 33. And so we see that God will punish sin, right? That's a truth they needed to know. And then we see God's compassion for the people and that he will give them a king to lead them despite, despite their rebellion. That's how the psalm closes in verses 67 through 72. And so if we want a faith that endures throughout generations, we have to talk about God. We have to talk about how he's saved us from our sins and given us salvation, right? This truth that we know about God, that we have learned, right? That's, that's really our testimony, right? About how we have, we've, we had a life before knowing Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then we came to know Jesus. We, we understood the gospel and it, it changed our lives. And now we, we live a different way. We can tell that, that third part of our testimony about what our life is now, right? That's what it takes to, to, to pass on these truths about God, to impact future faith. Really, our testimony is one of the greatest tools that God gives us to pass on faith, as simple as it is. And if we want this faith to endure, then we should not shy away from talking about our failures or how we have sins, but pass those on so that the future generations can learn from that and be wise and not repeat those same mistakes, but be more faithful. And so Asaph points these out, but he, he also pointed us to another way, right? He tells us, I'm going to pass on this truth, right? I'm going to talk about God. But then he also points us to this second way that people will know about God. This, how will this future faith endure? And that is because God has established a testimony. We see that in verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. And so anytime you see this word testimony or law or statutes, right, all of these are synonymous in the Old Testament for the, the law of God, the, the scriptures, right? We see that especially in Psalm 119. And so here the psalmist is thinking about how is it that future people, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren are going to know about the Lord. And he says something very comforting. He says, it's not dependent on me fundamentally because God has already given the testimony, right? There is, a, there is a witness to God that endures, that will not fade away. The word of God endures forever. And God has given that to us. So we don't have to, in other words, we don't have to think of a new way to make God more relevant or exciting for people. Right? He's already done that work for us. He's given us his lasting and enduring word. And we must simply teach that, pass that on to future generations. 
you remember what Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so seeing these future generations come to faith is not just something that we want, but it's something that God wants and it's something that he has provided for, that he has always left himself with a witness and it's the word of God so that every generation would be able to know him. This is his, this is really the gospel. It shows us the heart of God, right? That he wants people to be saved and has graciously, even in spite of our rebellion and the rebellion we read about in this chapter, he's graciously given us this truth that we might be saved from our sins and know him. And so future generations are going to know God through the Bible. And God is going to use us to point them to his word. And so we must make sure that we are teaching the Bible. We saw that in verse 5, right? God established his testimony and then commanded the fathers to teach it to their children, right? God has this plan that he is going to use his people to spread his word. That's how he has determined it. And so we see this here, right? That look at just the generations. If you look at verse 5 and verse 6, right? We have... Fathers teaching their children, that's the, the fathers and the children, that's the second generation. Then the children teach the, their children, that's the grandchildren, so we're on third generation. And they teach their children, right? So there are four generations listed here in verses 5 and 6. How is it that you, by the grace of God, of course we know that salvation belongs to the Lord, but how is it that you can have this hopefully leave this impact, this legacy for a hundred years in your family. Lord willing, it's through loving God yourself and through teaching your children about him through the Bible. That's God's plan that he lays out here to impact future generations. Right? God tells, we, we notice just as reading that God tells fathers to do this. That's not unimportant. We see that time and again that God has set up families so that the father is supposed to take this leadership role in guiding the family towards God, this spiritual responsibility, so to speak. Right? We see it here. We see it in Ephesians as well. But we know that because of sin, that this ideal is not always happening. Right? Whether that's because the father sins and is not taking up that role or the father's not there, whether that's because of divorce or fornication, which leads to single parenting, right? The father's not involved and helping in this way. But the Bible tells us this is the ideal. If you are a dad, this is what you should be doing. This is your role to help lead spiritually in this way, to pass on the word of God to your children. And really, you know, that's what we're all supposed to do. It's not, uh, this doesn't mean that if you're not a dad, right, you're off the hook, you don't have to worry about it, right? If it doesn't happen, well, you're not responsible. That's not what this means. But we see throughout the Bible that 
Not just fathers, but moms, aunts and uncles, grandparents, church family can all do this as well, right? That's part of why it's, uh, it's important to be involved in a church, right? That's one of those ways that God impacts us, that God has given us many people to walk alongside of us in this discipleship process, to, to teach us, to, to equip us as we need it, to be able to teach our children, to, to pick up the slack for others when they fall short in this way so that we may all know God better and continue to pass on this faith to future generations. This was, this was God's plan. This is what Asaph tells us about, right? How are we going to impact future generations? It's going to be through us passing that on, passing on the word of God through our families. That's where it starts and the focus is, right? And so as we think about this, as we kind of look at what this passage says, I want to kind of shift and transition into thinking about what are some applications of this? How do we put this truth that we've seen in God's word into practice in our own lives? And I want to think about it in two ways. One, how can we impact our own family towards faith? And then two, how can we impact families around us towards faith? Faith. So as we think about first, how can we impact our own family towards faith? That's what we see here in God's word. And you may uh, think of others as well. But the first thing that comes to mind is to pray for your family. Right. So often we can we can uh, skip over the easy answers, but we shouldn't. God has told us that one of the most important things we can do is pray. Right. God may not answer that prayer for years. But God may not, we may not see that work done at all if we don't ask God for it, if we don't pray. And so pray, pray. We see in 1 Timothy that we're supposed to pray for all men that all would know God through Jesus Christ. And we pray that for our kids, that his will would be done here on earth. We pray that for our grandkids and our great-grandkids. So we shouldn't skip over that. We should also have a strong personal Faith. We see that modeled here. We see that Asaph has, he's learned, he's heard this, he's, he's embodied it, right? And he's, he's has this strong enough faith to be able to pass this on to others. He, in other words, he loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, right? We read that verse this morning, the, the greatest commandment. And right after, you might have noticed, right after God gives that commandment in Deuteronomy 6, he also tells the fathers, again, to pass that on to their children, right? This is the foundational thing we can teach about God, is a love for God. Not just the facts, not just the knowledge, but a love for God. There was a book that came out uh, not too long ago, in the past couple years, and it was titled, Live Not By Lies. And it's a book about how Christianity survived in the Eastern Bloc during communist Russia. So this author was interested, how is it that in this, in this circumstances where everything is seemingly against Christianity thriving, how is it that they were able to endure and continue on in the faith? And Christians were still there even after 
Communist Russia fell, they endured, and are still there today. How did that happen? And so as he was interviewing, he interviewed Christians from that area, and the common thread that was consistent through it was that these people had parents who modeled a love for God in their families. Right? It wasn't just things they had learned, but they had seen it lived out. That they loved God more than they loved convenience or their ability to have personal safety. Right? They understood, they embodied this love for God that was greater than all these other things that they faced. And that was the one of the common threads that this author saw. And that's really what we see here, that this strong personal faith is what has such an impact on future generations. And so related to that, if we want to impact future generations, we have a strong personal faith, but another thing we can do is we can, we can practice family devotions. Uh, our church covenants, I don't know if you've read it recently, I read it kind of frequently nowadays, but as we're going through our Wednesday series. But our church covenant, it states this, that, that we commit to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. And I would guess, if you were to read the majority of Southern Baptist church covenants, that's what they all say, because ours is not unique, it's the pretty standard one. It's, it's just interesting to note that it says to maintain not only personal devotions, right, your personal quiet time, but also these family devotions, which is something that is really not common anymore. It was common not that long ago, uh, but has become less and less common as we have, oh, well, there are different reasons, but it's become less common, right? But that this idea of family devotions, it can look different in every family, right? It's it doesn't mean you have to hold like a mini church service every day or every week in your house, but just this idea of trying to, to read the Bible together or to pray together or to memorize a verse together or to, to learn a song together, right? Basically, to have a plan to intentionally teach your kids about God, to intentionally have this plan to share the gospel with your kids. That's really what this is about if uh, how can we be doing everything we can to be able to pass along this faith right there are lots of things as parents we're we're willing to do for our kids you can think about your kids and all the things that you did raising them right I think about sports and uh, music extracurriculars right uh, not just the time that goes into that but the money that goes into that as well and those are all good things. I was talking to someone about coaching soccer this morning, and there, there are lots of good things that come out of sports and instruments, right? Lots of lessons learned, lots of things that we can grow and mature in through those. How much more so should we be investing in, spending time in developing faith? It reminds me that the things of this world are are passing. Most of them, if not all of the things we tend to focus on here are passing. They will not endure. But there are certain things that will endure, and one of those things is faith. And so it would not profit 
the next generation that they would gain the world and yet lose their soul. It's a reminder to us to prioritize. How can we make it a prioritization in our life to practice intentionally, consistently looking after the faith of our families? Right? And so we think about this and you may think, well, I don't have kids at home. And I know that's true for a lot of you here. You can still, I would say, you can still have this impact with your family. We'll talk about other families in a minute, but it'll be different how you can impact your family if they're not with you, if they're grown, you have grandkids or great-grandkids, right? But there are still, there's still opportunities, right? How can you find those opportunities? Maybe you, you have the practice of just reading books with them. They're at that age, they're learning to read or like to read. Well, you can read... Uh, some Bible books or a Christian book with them. Uh, have the opportunity to talk about it with them, right? You can, if you listen to songs, you can rotate some songs in there that are Christian songs, whether that's kids' songs or hymns or anything else, right? Uh, you can encourage them to go to church. We think in the Bible of uh, Lois, who is Timothy's grandmother. Right? And we read of the impact that she had. She was not Timothy's parent, but the impact that she had on Timothy's faith. And how she set the personal example in her faith. And she also was instrumental in teaching Timothy the scriptures, which made him wise for salvation later in life. So as a grandparent, as a great-grandparent, we still have these opportunities to impact the faith of future generations in our families. The last thing I'll say on this, just for our personal families, is this. This is kind of unique to our setting, to a certain extent, but you can extrapolate the principle. I'll say this. Don't marry a Catholic. Uh, you may have had this experience, um, or seen it happen, I've seen it happen, where you see an older saint who's very strong in the faith, right? They have a, a good marriage. They are devoted. Their, their child is, uh, professes faith, grows up, and then they, they marry a Catholic. Uh, good, upstanding person, right? Good for society. But someone who believes differently than we do. And on fundamental issues, not just about peripheral things, but about what it takes to be saved. Uh, Protestants and Catholics are different on those things. We, we disagree about the gospel. And so, usually this is just an anecdotal, but I think usually in those situations, the Protestant ends up going to the Catholic church instead of the, the Catholic going to the Protestant church and accepting this other faith. And so then you see, as well, you can see that their kids then will grow up learning a different faith learning Catholicism instead of what we would believe to be the true gospel. And so that would be one thing to, to remember, and that's not just for Catholicism, it's a reminder that we need to, to consider the beliefs of people we marry to encourage our families or children or grandchildren in that area as well, that those things matter, beliefs matter, and it can impact future generations in that way. But that's just one thing I think is specific to our context that I've seen and uh, that we should be aware of. But as we think about how can we impact not just our families, 
but families around us, whether that's family, mainly I'm thinking here of families at church or other people who may come to church, future generations, right? There are, again, things that we should do. I'll just mention a couple. But we should pray for them. Again, don't skip over this fact. Pray for the families here. Pray for families who will be here. Pray that they will be here, that they will love the Lord with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that their children will learn to love the Lord and follow Him. Pray. Do not skip that. Form a relationship with them. Right? Get to know them. Uh, be able to love and support them and uh, speak the truth in love to them and be there uh, as that, uh, that grandparent figure or that aunt or uncle, so to speak. And then as a church, uh, we think about what's the most important thing that we do. For the last 2,000 years, right, the most important thing the church has done is the gathering. Coming together uh, to worship the Lord on the first day of the week. That's been the pattern. That's been the foundation. Throughout church history, there have been other things here and there. Uh, we think of uh, Bible studies or Sunday schools or other things that we do now. And all of those things are good. But I point out that throughout most of church history, those things haven't existed. Not to downplay Sunday school or Wednesday Bible study, but to say that. The church has survived and thrived off of the, the gathering, the worship gathering. And so we should also view that as central and essential to who we are and what we do as the church. And so if we, we understand that, then I think everything else flows out of that in, in developing our faith, developing the faith of others. So if we have that as a kind of our foundational understanding, then we can think about how we can help serve other families well, right? How can, how can we help them be a part of the gathering? How can we help them be at service? Maybe that means you, you just invite people. Uh, maybe it means that you are able to bring your grandkids, right? But a lot of that is not up to us, right? It's up to the parents on whether they come or uh, whether they're here. But there are things we can do to impact families when they are here, and this is the main one I'll mention this morning. And again, you may think of others, but the main specific application I would think of is you can volunteer in nursery during the service. Uh, this does a couple things. It helps parents who are here, right? You think of moms who uh, they can focus on the service because they're not. Splitting attention the whole time, one eye here, one eye there, right? Having to take their kids out. This is one thing maybe we can help parents with who are here who would come. But it doesn't just help parents as well. It helps, it helps the volunteers, right? Because volunteers are in there and having to work. And so if we have a, a rotation, if there are more people who volunteer, then it's not just one person who's always volunteering, but you can... You can split it up. Maybe, you know, you only have to be in there once a month if you get four people or six people. And you can rotate. And that way, again, everyone is able to be a part of the gathering, a part of the worship service, which is, it's crucial to our souls. And so we want to make sure that we are making that available to everyone and enhancing that as best we can. Right? And as we, 
as we do that, you know, then you can think about other things. How can we uh, expand Sunday schools or uh, other ministries? But that would be the first thing I think of when I think of how can we impact faith in future generations? How can we help families at the gathering? And so as we think about this passage, we think, what's it going to take to pass on faith to future generations? It's going to take a strong personal faith. And it's going to take teaching, pointing people to the word of God. And so that is what we must be about. If we want to see this great commission continue, not just right now to spread throughout the world, but in future generations to continue to spread and spread until the Lord comes, then we must be about this work that future generations would know the Lord. Let's pray together this morning as we conclude. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you teach us that you have a heart for people, not just people here, but people who will be here. We thank you that you have had a heart for us. How many generations are we since Asaph wrote this psalm, and yet you had a heart for us that Christianity would endure until our day so that we would know you. We pray that we would also be about this work of passing it on to future generations. May we start with our families, those who are close to us. May we have opportunities to impact them. And Lord, we pray that you would save them. We pray that you would do that work in our church as well, that you would uh, impact the families here, add families to our midst, that we would be able to see your faith spread through them as well. God, we thank you for your word. May it continue to teach us and impact us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.